The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. 8474. It's my pleasure to introduce to you this morning our 2008 graduate of Westminster Seminary, Reverend Jonathan Morsch. Jonathan Morsch is one of the long string of seminarians who have come from the Calvary Chapel movement. I think we can praise the Lord for raising up a number of folk from that, uh, that movement, which has been uh, vitally interested in the scriptures. And he is, uh, after he finished, he worked as uh, the uh, associate pastor of the URC, the United Reformed Church in Oceanside, and for the last three and a half years has been serving as a church planter in Southern Orange County um, at Trinity Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I serve on the missions committee of the Southern California Presbytery of the OPC, and I was just telling Jonathan before the service that it's a pleasure when we come to this, we discuss all the, the, the home missions works of the presbytery, and it's a pleasure when we talk about Trinity. Uh, it's, uh, it, it is a work that's been peaceful and growing, and uh, it's moving toward those marks of the three self, self-supporting, self-governing, self-propagating. Uh, all along, God has been blessing the work, and it's been peacefully moving towards leadership development. Uh, the, the, it's been growing in its giving, and... Uh, moving towards being independent and uh, hopefully working to plant other churches after that. We can thank the Lord for uh, the gifts that he's given to our brother in the exposition of his word and working with his people, and we're glad to have him with us uh, this morning. Welcome. Well, hello and good morning. It is a privilege to be here and always a joy to open up God's word together with you as we uh, consider it together. I'd like to uh, invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, I'm sure a portion of scripture that's familiar to us all, and uh, in this brief time, I just want to make a few comments on it that I hope are edifying to us all. So I'll go ahead and read uh, the whole chapter, uh, so let us give ear to the reading of God's word. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, 
because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thus far as the reading of God's word, let us pray that he bless it to our heart. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth and the power that it conveys uh, through the work of your Holy Spirit. For indeed, this testifies to us concerning the person and work of Christ Jesus, your Son, our Lord. So we pray that as your word is opened and proclaimed that you would grant to us ears to hear and eyes to see all that Christ has done for us. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, at uh, my church, Trinity Presbyterian, I've uh, had the privilege of uh, preaching uh, recently through the book of Exodus. And as I've been preaching through the book of Exodus, one thing is clear. Moses had an amazing ministry. He had an amazing ministry. His ministry begins when he's called by the Lord at the burning bush to go confront the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and demand that he liberate most, if not all, of his workforce. He then, through his staff, parts the Red Sea, where the entire uh, uh, group of Israelites are able to travel through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then, as we're at, uh, currently, I'm preaching through Exodus chapter 20, we see Moses preside over the, the most amazing, awe-inspiring worship services filled with external glory uh, throughout the history of the world. There at Mount Sinai, uh, the Lord comes down upon the mount to make a covenant with his people. And there, I would argue, uh, you see more external glory, more signs of God's presence than anything in the history of the world short of the second coming. And there's Moses uh, presiding over it all. Exodus 20, just to refresh your memory, we read beginning in verse 18, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And then we read at the end of that, that passage, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is stuff you see in Indiana Jones movies. This is glory that, is, that we can't even fathom. Uh, this is stuff that when Hollywood wants to, uh, to make a movie that can really show their special effects to, to make a spectacle, where do they go? Well, they go to the book of Exodus, right? the Ten Commandments. This is something that, that we look back on and we read this description. We can't even imagine the glory that accompanied uh, this event. We, we read further on in the book of Exodus that when Moses was on the mountain, he spent so much time there speaking with God, 
basking in the glory and the presence of God that when he came down the mountain, his face shone. His face was shining with reflecting, radiating the glory of God. And the Israelites were afraid to approach him. Can you imagine if your face shone? If on Sunday morning, your pastor, when he brought the word of God to you, his face shone. I I think that would keep people awake for the third and final point of the sermon, right? Um, Of course, this happened to Stephen in Acts chapter 6. We read there that he had the face of an angel. I think we are to imply there that his face shone with the presence, the glory of God. Of course, that didn't prevent him from being stoned in the next chapter but I think when we, when we read of this amazing ministry that Moses had, all of the external glory that accompanied uh, his, uh, his ministry, I think we find that it is a perennial temptation for ministers and for churches to somehow try to seek to recapture that glory, to, to sort of relive that glory that we read of in the Old Testament. Some of you may be familiar with Uh, with the Moses model of leadership that many evangelical churches today uh, sort of emulate. They get it from Exodus chapter 18, where we see there in Exodus 18, it's a top-down authority. Moses, the mediator of the new covenant, is the the guy uh, in charge, and everyone else is beneath him. Well, of course, they adopt that to uh, modern-day church ecclesiology, right? The senior pastor is like Moses, and everyone's beneath him. But more generally speaking, I think we find in in churches throughout the history of of church history, uh, people try to recapture or reinvent that glory that we find in the Old Covenant. I think you see this in the Roman Catholic Church, with the the beautiful cathedrals and all of the the added rituals. Uh, They're trying to recapture that glory. I think you see that in the mega churches today, with the multimedia presentation and all the things they do. There's a, uh, a local megachurch uh, near uh, where I live uh, where I think there is a fountain that can actually part like the Red Sea, okay? And, and for those of us who are committed to word and sacrament, for those of us who are committed to the regulative principle, who don't think that, that lights and, and uh, uh, multimedia presentations and loud music is what should draw a crowd, we wonder how can we compete? How can we compete with these people who are trying to recapture the glory, the external glory of the Old Covenant? I think that was no less true of Paul and the people he faced in his day. Indeed, when we look at Paul's letters brought uh, just, you know, kind of with a broad glance, we see that Paul often had to defend his ministry against those who touted themselves as teachers of the law, as true successors of Moses, who sought external glory and prestige often at the expense of Paul in the churches that he ministered to. And I think you see part of that here in our passage today in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He's having to defend his ministry over against those who would say, well, we have the ministry of Moses. And he's saying, no, I have a different ministry. One that's not accompanied by the external glory that we read of in the Old Covenant, but nevertheless one that has a true glory. And so when we look at this contrast that we see between the glory of the Old Covenant and the glory of the New, we will see that even though externally speaking, the glory of the Old Covenant seemed greater, but nevertheless with the glory of the New, uh, it far exceeds it. 
And Paul, in verse 7 of chapter 3, even admits that the Old Covenant came with glory. I mean, he, knew, he knew the Old Testament stories. He knew of all the signs and wonders that accompanied the, old, the, the beginning of the Old Covenant. But he says all of that glory is relative compared with the glory that we have in the New. And I think we see that, that contrast most uh, strongest, that contrast is, is made when he speaks of the purpose of the Old Covenant. What does he call it? He calls it a ministry of death. He calls it a ministry of condemnation. So we can, we can talk a lot about the Mosaic Covenant, but, but Paul is saying here, one of the main points of all, those, all that glory, the revelation of God on Mount Sinai, with the thunder and the lightnings and the smoke and the fire and all those things, all of that was primarily meant to show the Israelites the greatness of their sin and misery. Right? To, show, to show them that God is holy and they are not. And therefore, they need a mediator. They need atonement for their sins. Ultimately, all of that external glory, Paul says, was meant to condemn them and to drive them to someone else, to drive, namely, to Christ. All of that was designed to condemn and kill. Whereas the new covenant, Paul says, is one that gives life. It is one that, that gives righteousness. The old covenant mediums were ink and stone. That's what Moses had to work with. He had ink and he had stone. But what are the new covenant mediums? What is it that we, uh, and those of you who desire to be in the ministry, what do we get to work with? The spirit of the living God. And what are the things that we're writing on? We're writing on human hearts, where the law is actually written on their heart both giving them the desire and the ability to obey God's law. The old covenant, Paul says, was temporary in nature. It had an end, it had a telos, it had a goal, and that has been met in Christ. But the new covenant uh, in, in Christ Jesus is eternal. It is permanent. It is not coming to an end. The glory is not fading. But this, nevertheless, is a glory that takes faith to embrace. When I read that description of Mount Sinai, I doubt that that compared with anything any of, any of us experienced last Sunday when we were in our church. I don't care what church you go to, you're not gonna be able to compete with what you read of in Exodus 19 and 20. But Paul says we have a glory that's much greater. It's a glory that, you need to, that takes faith to embrace, right? Later on, he'll say we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet this glory is more real and more permanent than anything we can conjure up in our own efforts. Hence, we see in, Paul, in verse 12 that Paul says, we have such a hope of this permanent glory, which will, be, which will come with the fullness of the revelation of Christ Jesus. And we have this hope, therefore, Paul says, it makes us bold. You, know, you think, how, how bold would you be if your face shone, right? You would think, People will definitely listen to you if your face radiated the glory of God. But Paul says, we're more bold. We're more bold. Uh, not, we're not like Moses, who had to put on a veil. This is an amazing reversal. I mean, when you go back and you read the book of Exodus, you, you read of the face, shining face of Moses. He puts on that veil seemingly to protect the Israelites so that they won't be afraid of him, right? But what does Paul say? Paul says he puts that veil on in order that the Israelites may not gaze at the outcome of what was 
being brought to an end. He's saying we're more bold than Moses. This is an amazing reversal. And then he goes on to say that in the new covenant, it's not just Moses who gets the shining face. It's not just Moses who gets to stare at the glory of God. But who is it? It's all of us. It's all of us who turn to the Lord, who have that veil removed from our hearts, who when we see Christ, we behold the glory of the Lord. And as we behold that glory, we're being transformed. So we're not opposed to glory. We just want the right kind. We, and we want it in the right timing. And that is the amazing thing of the new covenant. And so just as we very briefly look at this passage today, I hope that this has encouraged us all uh, to remain bold in the Lord, to strengthen our hope in the resurrection and, our, and the hope of glory, and also uh, to strengthen our confidence in the means of grace. Right? This is all done through ordinary preaching. It's confirmed through the ordinary use of the sacraments. We don't need all the bells and whistles. We don't need all the external glory because uh, we have the Spirit of God. Amen? Let's give thanks. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we do thank you that you indeed are the image of the glory of God. You came and you perfectly revealed uh, uh, the nature of God to us, but you also lived a, sacrif- uh, a, a obedient life and died a sacrificial death and are risen in glory. We thank you, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you enable us even now to behold your glory, and you conform us more and more into your image. We pray, O Lord, that you would continue to do that in all of our lives, that you would strengthen our hope in the resurrection and our hope of glory. Help us, O Lord, to to remain confident and grant even uh, to us boldness to proclaim your truth, knowing that in so doing, You, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are changing lives and changing and writing your law on people's hearts and conforming them into your image. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. May be dismissed. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.